0: Let us turn in God's Word this morning to Psalm 122. Psalm 122. Psalm 122, entitled "A Song of Degrees" of David, it also be labeled a song of ascent as they went up into Jerusalem. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together, whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sakes, I will now say, Peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. Thus far we read God's holy and inerrant word. May God add his blessing upon the reading of the holy scriptures. It's on the basis of what we read in Psalm 122 and many other passages besides that we find the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 38. Question 103, found on page 22 in the back of the Psalter. What doth God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained, and that I, especially on the Sabbath, that is, on the day of rest, diligently frequent the church of God, to hear his word, to use the sacraments, publicly to call upon the Lord and contribute to the relief of the poor as becomes a Christian. Secondly, that all the days of my life I cease from my evil works and yield myself to the Lord to work by his Holy Spirit in me and thus begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. beloved congregation the lord jesus christ there has been throughout the history of the new testament church many questions that have arisen in the minds of the people of god about the meaning and the application of the fourth commandment there have been questions even about when is the Sabbath day. The seventh-day Adventists maintain that the Sabbath is to be honored on the last day of the week, on Saturday, as was the custom throughout Old Testament history, whereas Christianity maintains that the Sabbath day in the New Testament is now no longer remembered on the Sabbath or on Saturday but on the first day of the week, Sunday. And then there have been questions as well among some as to whether or not the Sabbath must be honored in the New Testament. Some would maintain that because of Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law through his lifelong obedience and his death on The cross, that then in the New Testament we are no longer bound to set apart the Sabbath day as a special day. And then, among those who do understand and believe that we must keep the Sabbath day holy, that it is a day where we are to rest from our labors. Then the question is, what does this mean? What does it look like to rest from one's labors? There are all sorts of different ideas, even among well-intentioned Christians, about what Sabbath day observance looks like. Different rules about what children may or may not do as you go from one home to the next home. We will not in this morning attempt to answer all of these questions that arise about the Sabbath day. It could be a temptation to imagine that keeping the Sabbath day is about a long list of rules. And that so long as I abide by all of these rules, Rules, whatever the particular rules in one's home might be. As long as I'm not watching television on the Sabbath day. As long as I'm not going to my job on the Sabbath. As long as I am going to church on Sunday. Well, then I'm I'm keeping the fourth commandment. And you understand, beloved, that a mere outward keeping of the letter of the law is legalism. And that's not what God requires of us here. Though there are requirements, and we must strive to keep them, but it's not merely about what we do outwardly. But rather, it's a matter of the heart what does your heart desire? Do you long to be in the house of God and to experience that blessed communion of life with God? Do you have joy and gladness When the brethren say unto you, let us go into the house of the Lord. We consider the fourth commandment this morning under the theme, gladness in God's house. First, joyful worship. Second, with the brethren. Third, into eternity. Joyful worship with the brethren into eternity. Eternity. The psalmist in Psalm 122 speaks of entering God's house and of standing within Jerusalem. Verse 1 I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. And so, what is this house and what is this city that is called? Jerusalem. We must understand that this house that is spoken of and the city of Jerusalem were physical structures, a physical place where Old Testament saints at the time of David, while he was king over Israel, could with their bodies physically go and enter into The city of Jerusalem was built as a city compact. It had walls and it had gates that were made out of brick and wood and stone. At the time of David, the temple was not yet built, but the house of God was at that time the tabernacle, a tent within which there was the Ark of the Covenant. God had, in eternity, designed these structures, the house of God, and then the city of Jerusalem. And then man, in time, had, with physical hands and with physical material, constructed the house of God and the city of Jerusalem. It was within this house and this city that then God was pleased to dwell. That's why the psalmist calls it here the house of the Lord. It's not just the house of the Lord in the sense that this house belonged unto God. It's not only the house of the Lord in the sense that God with his divine wisdom, had eternally planned this house. But it was also the house of the Lord because God was pleased to tabernacle with his people in that house and in the city of Jerusalem. Now we understand, of course, the limitations of that statement when we say that God was pleased to dwell in that house. That does not mean that God was confined to that house, that God was only found in that house, and he was found nowhere else besides. We understand that God is the omnipresent Lord of hosts, the God who fills all things. Solomon in His dedication service that he had for the temple when the temple was built acknowledged this reality that God was too great to be confined simply to this house that Solomon had built. 1 Kings 8, verse 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have builded. And yet acknowledging the limitations of that statement, we do not take away the truth of that, that God was pleased to tabernacle with his people in that house. God had respect unto that house. He set his eyes upon that house. And it was there within that house that the people of God would gather physically and offer their thanksgiving unto the name of the Lord. The psalmist speaks of the name of the Lord in the fourth verse. Whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord Unto the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. And recall from the third commandment what the name of the Lord is. It's God's revelation to his people. And so if the name of the Lord was found in that house and in that city, and it means this is where God revealed himself to his people. This is where God was known among Old Testament Israel. A house. It was a physical place. It was a place where God dwelt. And then as well, it was a blessed The psalmist describes the blessedness of this house throughout Psalm 122. It was a beautiful house and a city that was built compact and fair. It was a house and a city in which there was order and justice. Verse 5, there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. It was a house in which there was the absence of conflict, and instead there was peace within. Verse 8, for my brethren and companions' sakes, I will now say, peace be within thee. It was a house in which there was prosperity. Verse 7, peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. That's why Solomon built an ornate structure with much gold and silver in order to represent the fact that the glorious Lord of hosts would dwell in this house. Now what does all of this instruction about God's house reveal unto us? It shows unto us, beloved, that God is the covenant God. That's what stands behind the fourth commandment here. When God comes to us and God tells us, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, the principle that stands behind this commandment is this truth that God is the covenant God. The uncreated, the everlasting Lord of hosts, the God of holiness and of justice is the God who loves the creature that he has shaped. God's love for the creature is such that God desires to be with his people. He desires to abide with his people. And he desires that his people abide with him. God's love for his people is so great that he takes his people one by one off of this earth and brings them into the heavenly mansion that Jesus Christ has prepared for them. But now as we reflect upon the fourth commandment and the Sabbath day, we behold this truth. God does not wait until the moment of the believer's death to take that believer into the house of God. But already on this earth, God privileges his people with being able to enter into communion, covenant, with Jehovah God. And the place that God has ordained where that fellowship with him will take place is especially within the New Testament church. Throughout the Old Testament, recall, there was that house. It was a physical house built with physical hands. And yet it was in that physical place that God was pleased to tabernacle with his people. And so it is that in the New Testament, there is a physical structure that is built with physical hands. There are walls and there are doors. There's brick and there is stone that makes up this building. And yet it is here in this house that God in a special way is pleased to dwell with his people. God condescends to us and takes us into his communion. And thus it is in that the calling of this fourth commandment is: "We must enter God's house, and we must worship Him, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy." God says. Answer 103 of the Heidelberg Catechism speaks of this calling and of the different aspects of this calling to enter into God's house. What does God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained. Striking that the very first thing that our Reformed Father spoke of was giving your gifts. Worship is not, first of all, about what I get out of the service. But worship is first and foremost about giving. The ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained. And that I, especially on the Sabbath day, that is, on the day of rest, diligently frequent the church of God. Psalmist speaking of frequenting the church of God or the Old Testament, the house of God, said in verse two, our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. The Psalmist did not try to honor the Sabbath day by standing outside of the walls of the city and then straining his ears to hear the sweet melodies that arose out of the city of Jerusalem as the people of God sang the songs of Zion. The psalmist did not come up with excuses as to why he could not be within that royal city of Jerusalem, but he said, Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. The psalmist got as close as possible to the center of the worship of Jehovah God. He did not try to live on the periphery. He did not devote as little time as possible unto worship, but he came, the language of the Heidelberg Catechism we diligently frequent the house of God. Frequent means to do it as often as possible, to do it more than once. We come twice to God's house on the Sabbath day, and if it were possible, we would come three times to God's house on this day. Frequent. And then we go on here, diligently frequent the church of God to hear his word. This is the central part of the Reformed worship service. The preaching of the word of God. We gather into the house of the Lord because we are eager to hear what God has to say unto us. Ecclesiastes 5 verses 1 and 2 Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. Taught in Revelation as well, Revelation 2, verse 7, He that hath an ear Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Worship, as we have stated already, is not first and foremost about what I can derive from the worship service. It's not first and foremost about whether I feel satisfied or whether I have some internal Need or desire that 's met through the worship service, but the worship the worship of Jehovah God is first and foremost about hearing what God says unto us, God in his love sets before his people food it's spiritual nourishment that we hear as We come into his house. How important it is that we do hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. You see how the Sabbath day observance is so important for the keeping of all the rest of the commandments. Because it is in the very house of God that the Spirit gives unto us instruction about how we are to live our lives upon this earth. And if we neglect that means of grace that God has given to us, if we do not come and hear what God says unto us, then we will not know how to keep any of the other commandments. It was one of the outstanding sins of the Old Testament Israelites as they fell and fell deeper into sin that they failed to give the land the rest that God had commanded them to give it. And so it is absolutely necessary, beloved, that we come into the house of the Lord in order to hear what God says unto us. Come to hear his word. We come to use the sacraments. And then the catechism goes on publicly to call upon the Lord. And here the Catechism speaks of prayer. Psalmist David, in Psalm 122, verse 4, Whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. Verse 6, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper That love thee. What a privilege this is for the Christian that we may, as part of the body of Jesus Christ, with one heart and one voice, lift up our supplications unto Jehovah God in prayer. How joyful is this worship! Faithful worship is joyful worship. The Christian must carefully guard his or her attitude as he comes into the holy place of God. The psalmist was glad to go into the house of the Lord. Are you? And am I? We are glad because we come into the presence of one who is infinitely greater than us. We are glad because we are welcomed not only into His presence, but even into His home where He dwells. We are glad because this great King has the time to talk to us so that we can hear his word and as well has the time to listen to us in our needs as we publicly call upon his name in prayer. This is what friends do. They enjoy communion one with another. And the more we come to know our God, the more joy we have in fellowshipping with Him in His house. As we gather into His house, we do not come alone, but the psalmist throughout Psalm 122 emphasizes that we gather with the brethren. Psalm 122 emphasizes the communal aspect of worship. He emphasizes this communal aspect of worship because the reality is by nature, we do not like very much the communal worship of Jehovah God. It can be a struggle for us to gather with the brethren into the house of God. Consider with me some of the objections that man raises against gathering with the people of God in the house of the Lord. For some, the objection is that I've been hurt by others. I've been sinned against by others. Others. There are others in this congregation who have slandered my name, who have not respected me, who have not loved me, and now I'm called to gather in God's house with them. That's too much for me. I cannot gather with those that have hurt me in such a way. There are some who are opposed to gathering communally with the people of God because what we'll call a spirit of independentism. They have a lone wolf mentality. I'm strong. I don't need to gather with God's people in that house of the Lord. I have great enough strength in myself and in my own personal devotions, I can draw strength from God's word and that will be sufficient for me to press on faithfully in this pilgrimage. other objection. I'm too busy. I've got too many responsibilities. I'm an important individual. I've got work that's calling my name that requires me to go out. So I I can't make it to God's house. And now we speak not of what we call works of necessity, any other task besides work of necessity, some will say that even that is important enough to prevent him from coming to God's house. For others, what prevents them from coming? It's fear. Fear. Fear of what others will think of me. Fear of being known. Fear of being vulnerable before others. Fear of simply gathering with other people in a large room can cause some people great distress thinking about simply being by other people. So fear prevent some from coming communally into God's house. If any man would have had a reason, an excuse for not gathering in God's house, I suppose it would have been the psalmist David. Think of how important the psalmist David was. If anybody had an important work to do, it was David. He was king over Israel. He was busy building the walls of Jerusalem, compact and fair. He was busy defending the nation of Israel against the enemies that threatened the security of the people of God. If there was anyone that would have had an excuse not to come to worship, it would have been David. Or perhaps fear. If anyone would have had a reason to say, it's, it's not good for my safety to go into a public place, there could be threats to the king. It would have been David. David had his enemies. Saul, Absalom later on. And yet notice how throughout Psalm 122, the psalmist David sets forth The fact that he did not worship God alone, but he worshiped with the other people. Already in the first verse we see this. I was glad when they, not just one, but plural. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And then David states that he would not stand alone In God's house, but verse 2 Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Who is it that would ascend up with David into Jerusalem and go to the house of the Lord? It was not with the enemies of the land, it was not with the Moabites or the Egyptians or the Philistines that David would worship. But instead David worshiped with those who were set apart by God, as those who had received the covenant promise from God. Verse four it was the tribes, whether the tribes go up. And the tribes, you understand, consists of the twelve tribes of the sons of. Of Jacob, And then David goes on to describe further who it was that went up with him into the house of God. It wasn't just those who had been legally set apart by God, designated as the twelve tribes of Jacob. But it was those with whom David had a relationship, even a relationship of love and friendship. Verse 8, he says, For my brethren and companions' sakes, I will now say, Peace be within thee. The Heidelberg Catechism, following the teaching of Scripture as well, sets forth this communal aspect of worship. It calls us, in the middle of answer 103, to publicly call upon the Lord. So what both Psalm 122 and Lord's Day 38 teach us is the fact that the people of God need communal, public, Worship. God has created us in such a way that we need to gather one with another in His house. There are exceptions, but let those be the rare exceptions. The time where, because of persecution there are only two or three who can gather in the name of Jesus time when because of great physical affliction or mental affliction one is for a season stayed by the hand of God from coming into his house but that is the exception And not the norm. The norm is that God has created you in such a way that you need the house of God. And not just God's house alone, but God's house with the saints, with the brethren, and with the companions, with the tribes of Jacob. You need it because God has shaped you in such a way that you need these relationships with the other people of God. You need these relationships to encourage you and assist you. You need these relationships because there are times where we need corrections and admonishments. And as we live in relationships with the other people of God, they are in a place where they can behold these weaknesses in us and lovingly and gently bring a word of correction unto us. You need to worship with the people of God because God has created us with A longing for relationships with those who are part of the body of Jesus Christ. God did not create us in such a way that we can be fulfilled and satisfied in isolation, independent from that body and bride of Jesus Christ. And so it is, beloved, that you need to come into the house of the Lord and communally worship Jehovah. You know who else needs the public worship of the Lord? It's not just you as a congregation, but I as pastor and as minister need the people of God to gather in His house. This is the wisdom of God that God has created you in such a way that you need to hear his word and you hear that word through the minister. And on the other hand, I as the minister need you who are the people of God. There's a very physical sense in which the minister needs and depends upon the people of God. For if it were not for your financial support of the gospel ministry, I would not be able to study the word of God, giving myself throughout the day and the week unto the meditation upon the truths of the holy scriptures. The catechism speaks of that in the beginning of answer 103. God requires first that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained. But then there's another sense in which I as the pastor need the people of God, not just for financial support, equally important, if not more important. I need you because it is in the public worship of the Lord that the Spirit is pleased to work in the preaching. Imagine preaching for a moment without anybody in church. The pew's empty. And the words of the pastor echo off the back wall. Nobody to hear them the Spirit would not be at work in the heart of that pastor without anybody to hear that word in the same way that the Spirit does work and is pleased to work when the people of God gather together. And so we do gather with the brethren and with Companions, spiritual companions. It takes humility, does it not? Pride is insulted at the sins of others against us. Pride imagines I'm better than the other people of God. I don't need to gather with them. But humility acknowledges. I'm a broken sinner. I'm no better than anyone else who gathers in the house of the Lord. I need to gather with God's people. And it takes faith. Faith together with the brethren. Faith which trusts that I'm received in the body. There's a place for me that I'm not excluded from the body of Jesus Christ, but that I am received not because of who I am, but because of the blood of God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And so by faith, we gather week by week, diligently frequenting the house of the Lord. But we begin in this lifetime, beloved, will continue into all eternity. The Catechism speaks of this in the end of answer 103. At all the days of my life, I cease from my evil works and yield myself to the Lord to work by his Holy Spirit in me and thus begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. God on this earth is pleased to give unto us a foretaste of what the joys of heaven will be like. As we frequent God's house, as we gather with people of like faith, as we sing praises unto Jehovah God, as we hear His word proclaimed unto us, and as we behold the love and the grace of our Lord revealed. Through the sacrificial death of his only begotten son, in all of this, God is graciously granting unto us a taste of the joys of heaven. God, as it were, is so eager for fellowship with his people that God does not wait until he takes us off this earth and brings us to the pearly gates into our everlasting home. But already on this earth, God enters into communion with us, and he does so most especially on that Sabbath day, that day of rest. Come, Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you yearn, beloved, for such fellowship with Jehovah God? Do you love his house? Do you cry out for the Lord of hosts? Do you say with the psalmist, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord? There is a warning that we must hear. And the warning is this. If we do not love the house of the Lord, if we do not love together with God's people on the Sabbath day, then that means You will not love heaven. Because God on this earth begins in this life the eternal Sabbath. We do well to evaluate our attitudes and our perspectives towards Sabbath worship. The way that we view the worship of God on the Sabbath day indicates the love or lack thereof that we have for heaven. The answer that we give to this question Do you yearn for fellowship with Jehovah God? The answer that we give through Jesus Christ and only through Jesus Christ is yes, I do love it. I feel in my heart that need to stand within the gates of Jerusalem. When I miss a Sabbath day worship service by reason of sickness or illness, for because of a work of necessity, I sense that I have missed out on that taste of heaven upon this earth. And so I cannot wait then for the next Sabbath day to come where I can gather with God's people in his house. Yes, because of Jesus Christ who condescended into this world and who took away the curse of my sins which were due Unto me through Jesus and because of Jesus, the Christian answers, Yes, I am glad to go into the house of the Lord. Amen. Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank Thee that Thou hast not given us over as a prey unto the wicked one, but that thou dost preserve and protect protect us even within thy church. Wilt thou create within our hearts a sense of longing for thee? Wilt thou grant unto us thy Holy Spirit that we might receive the knowledge of the pardon of our sins? Wilt thou strengthen us that we might Sanctify this day for Jesus' sake. Amen.